Hi, welcome to Botanico. I'm your host, Matt Mark here. And before we begin this episode, I would like to mention that on the podcast website, botanicalpodcast.com, I have included show notes. There you can find all the resources I use, the websites, the books, the various articles, and then also resources that you could reach out to in case you wanted to go even further, such as the links to the California Native Plant Society, and for that first episode, a society around California oaks, if you were interested in reaching out and learning more or maybe volunteering. Um, again, that is on the website, botanicalpodcast.com. Without further ado, let's get into the Sonoma Spine Flower. Imagine you're in a forest. There's thick vegetation all around you. There are leaves that seem larger than your head, and they're thicker than your finger. And you walk around, and overhead you see these swaying vines. You're not sure if it's from monkeys or from whatever. You're feeling a little off. And all of a sudden you hear this bird call. And you go towards it. You're curious. You want to know what it is. And as you walk around, you stumble over all these huge prehistoric-seeming roots. You come to a wall of greenery. You go through, and standing there on a stump is a dodo, just doing its thing. And that's how I imagine it must have felt like discovering the Sonoma Spine Flyer for the first time after thinking it was extinct for 77 years. And is the Sonoma Spine Flyer as remarkable, or maybe as unremarkably remarkable, as the dodo? Let's find out. Let's get into the nitty gritty, the nitty petals of the Sonoma Spine Flower. It is known as the Corizanthi Lolita. And I just really mentioned these Latin binomials in interest of seeing where this plant lies or what its relatives are. Just looking at the history, maybe, is a better way to put it, of these plants. And I think that is captured in other names, of course, for the in common names and specifically for something that the colony of native as what they would have been called by the Native American tribe that was an exposure to them. There's a lot in the name. And I think for what we're doing here at Botanical, what we're kind of a general interest show that's trying to push your general interest maybe into a more colorized interest, if that <laughs> tracks, or a deeper maybe passion for learning about these plants or maybe just an inspiring passion for things that you enjoy anyway the point i'm getting into is that i think looking at these latin names and looking at the families we can see interesting things we can see interesting connections because the sonoma spine flower is in the buckwheat family it is a rare very rare i should say flowering plant in the buckwheat family and you might immediately be like oh buckwheat i hate buckwheat or like oh buckwheat great um if you're a fellow like me 
buckwheat's pretty good. Buckwheat makes some pretty good pancakes. And the buckwheat family is known as polygonaceae, uh, which just comes from the Latin word polygonum, which <laughs> I, at least the way I pronounce it, it makes me think of that Schwarzenegger scene where he's like, cocainum, but it's polygonum. And it just means mini me's in Latin. And before I really get into this, the spine flower, I think it is interesting to talk about the buckwheat because the Corzanthi Belita, the spine flower, cannot be eaten like the buck, what we make buckwheat flour out of. And the buckwheat family is huge. There's 40 genera, so that would be in our binomial, the Corzanthi, that is the genera. And there's over 800 different species, uh, which would be the Belita. And they are, these plants go all over place we get two species of the pyropyrum uh, genera give us the buckwheat flower um sorrel is also the buckwheat family rhubarb is strangely in the root in the, in the fruit bar rhubarb is also in the buckwheat family and i've heard well you know actually i've heard differing numbers for how many different species there are but it seems like there are about 800 to 1200 different species worldwide just large that is very large um distinctive feature of them are small flowers with colored sepals, no petals, and off triangular seeds, according to wildflowersandweeds.com, which I thought was a good description of the buckwheat. So just to think of the flower, and this is going to be interesting, this is, you know, when we're talking about my welcome, the interesting uh, correlations, or rather puns that are possible between plants and the podcasting world, there's also a huge divide a huge uh, schism not really schism but a huge divide in that the plant world is so vision based it's such a sight based thing outside of smell but then i, was, I don't have isn't it difficult to describe smells it's just me going on a tangent it's just describing smells to someone or it's like trying to like identify or, okay that smells like rosemary if it's not rosemary you know, or like that smells like cinnamon or it smells like soap you know that's such like a vague thing like what are you talking about I don't even know what I'm talking about when I say soap. It's just like the closest approximation of what I'm talking about. Anyway, so this is going to be difficult to maybe describe, but the sepal is essentially kind of, I think of it as like Atlas, like the Greek myth. You know, he's like that guy who's holding up the, the world, the globe. So the sepal is kind of like a thing that helps, generally helps support the flowers, petals when they're in bloom. They're like the little leaves behind it, like their friends just helping out. Other thing about buckwheats, randomly, um, some of the worst weeds that we know of are also in the buckwheat family. So they're one of those families that give us, you know, part of the ag world, part of industrialized ag now, and are part of huge restoration projects. You know, maybe part of a strawberry rhubarb. Buckwheat go all over the place. They, I feel like they just didn't know what to do at all. They just went all over they're, they're like those kids that are trying to think, you know, just kids trying to fit in anywhere. That doesn't really make sense. But anyway, let's go back to the Corzanthi Velita, the Sonoma spine flower. And there really isn't that much about this plant um, that's easily accessible. And to me, that's because this plant is kind of shrouded in, it's like historically shrouded in mystery, at least to Western botanists. And even kind of to this day, it's still... There's still questions, which I'll get to, about this plant. But to reiterate, it's rare. It's incredibly rare. 
there's pretty much only one place in the entire world where it grows, and that's in the Point Reyes National Seashore Park. And it's in only a specific part of that park as well. And that is in Abbott's Lagoon. It is endemic or native to West Marin, Marin County. It used to be more widespread. You would see it more over the Marin County area and into, into Upper Sonoma County. It's a small plant. It has a head of white to lavender to rose flowers, which are nice. The flowers, too, are really dense and look kind of like, I like to think of them as fireworks, especially because they can kind of be multicolored. So it looks like maybe, you know, the moment explosion for a firework. And they bloom from June to August. And the one reason why it's so difficult this plant to grow and why it has such a small colony is that it really likes this one specific type of soil that's in Abbott's Lagoon. It lives in that type of soil is well drained, it's sandy, and the coastal grasslands of Marin. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't, I get it. I mean, Point Reyes is one of my absolute favorite places in California, so I would understand why I was like, hey, you know what, I'm going to specialize this soil because this place is great um, and it's magical. And it is mysterious. I mean, I love going to Point Reyes when it's all foggy and you can barely see because the fog is so thick and the cars that if you're coming back on the trailer going back to your parked car, the headlights look like angels in the sky or spirits and you see all the quails. It's just magical. I love Point Reyes. So I get it. You know, I think it also ties into the shrouded history of this plant because there's even questions as to where the type plant was pulled from. And by type plant, I just mean the plant that was used to provide the prescription and drawing of this plant. There's reports of it, the population growing near the Point Reyes post office. And people, there's also other accounts about them maybe being all the way into Petaluma and Sebastopol. And one reason why that we think that they are not there anymore is because of urbanization. We just, I'm proud of them. And then we get to this point where we really thought it was extinct for 77 years. And then somebody found it in Abbott's Lagoon in 1980. And since then, there have been, this plant has really blown up with uh, some pretty big California organizations and federal organizations. And at the same time, I saw someone questioning, even if just casually, the validity of the historical reach of the Sonoma Spineflower and if it really did go all the way up to Sonoma or as far down as Petaluma. And I think it's just interesting to mention this, even if it is because it adds in a level of mystery, almost like a ghost-like quality to some of the spine flower. And it makes you wonder, does it exist? Does this plant really exist? You say. It does. And let's get into more of it. It is now registered as endangered in the state of California. And by order of CESA, or the California Endangered Species Act, you cannot kill it. I don't know, why. I don't know who would be bent on killing this on the spine flower. You can't possess it. And then also CICA, California Environmental Quality Act, which it's a statute which just says that agencies have to note the environmental impacts of their actions. So if something were to happen in Abbott's Lagoon, essentially, the agencies would have to write a report saying how it might impact the remaining species. And if there is valid enough reason to continue ahead with such a plan. And then it is also federally protected. So it's not only the state protection, it's got federal protection. So you really do not want to mess with this plant. 
Uh, it is protected by the Endangered Species Act of 1973. And then on top of that, it's also protected by the National Park Service because Point Reyes is a national park. And so the National Park Rangers are bound to protect the Sonoma Spine Flower. So what has happened really since 1980, since it was discovered? And they have, since the 90s, done various seed plots installations and have tried to establish new colonies. And there was a fairly large grant that was awarded to them in 2009 by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for a total of $58,850, which was under the Preventing Extinction Grant. The money was used to remove invasives, which for the Sonoma Spine Flower is velvet grass. Uh, It pretty much just outcrowds the Sonoma Spine Flower and the very small populations or areas where it grows. They moved a road that fragmented its habitat, and they also use it to collect seeds and collect soil for analysis. And in 2010, there was a fairly exhaustive review of the practices that had been going on with trying to restore the Sonoma Spine Flower, and pretty much came down to a lot of the things that were noted as possible threats to it were deemed not threats anymore. So according to this exhaustive five-year review done by the Fish and Wildlife Service, the Valida, along with other species at the time in in 1992 were thought to be threatened by the diverse modification of dune systems through commercial and residential development, off-road vehicle use, trampling by hikers and equestrian, sand mining, and disposal of dredge materials from adjacent bays and waterways. And this is a quote from the article. But a lot of these things are now thought of to not be threats um, because there is no modification of dune systems, at least anthropogenically, by commercial residential development because it's a national park. There's very little off-road vehicle use, and sand mining is not allowed. So the issues here are trampling by hikers and equestrians, and then also fire. But I think it's interesting that in this review, they actually reference the fact that since fire hasn't happened in this area for so long, largely due to fire suppression, and also just they're not the environment for fire to happen just hasn't been there. But they don't know actually how the Sonoma Spine Flower reacts to fire, and there's they are not able to find any evidence for how Native Americans might have used fire in this environment and how that might have affected the Sonoma Spine Flower. And they don't know. They say they're not sure. But I think it's really interesting. But they also mention that in spite of all these efforts to help the Sonoma Spine Flower, they also kind of reference this futility in helping the Sonoma Spine Flower because as climates change and as its natural habitat where the soil is is going to get smaller and smaller and it's going to be forced up and up or it's just going to be forced to move around that it's probably not there's not a feasible way for it to really persevere for a long time well that's what it's going to happen but there does seem to be in this report i think it's interesting that there does seem to be this notion that there's a futility and yet still moving forward with it but the biggest thing that they mention is this thing called stochasticity. And that just means to... Stochastic just refers to things like fire or some type of unforeseen disease or drought, these types of things. And they see that as still one of the primary threats to the Corzanthi Verita. But in this five-year review, although a lot of these threats were considered not relevant anymore, the summer spawn flyer is still considered endangered and in need of protection. I think it's interesting to look at the population sizes 
1999, when the Point Race National Seashore staff started a program to monitor the population, they estimated that there was about 18,000. And just two years later, in 2001, it was thought there were over 180,000 individual plants. But I think it's interesting that in the article they say that these numbers have been rejected due to statistical invalidity. Also, okay, so to write this down, there are two populations. There is a called the main population, and there's the subpopulation. They were broken up by a road, um, and there was a larger population on one side of it and a small population on the other side. So that's why there's the main population and the subpopulation. And then, as I mentioned, there was in the grant in the grant they used they removed or they relocated that road so i believe now that the two populations are finally joined together again which i'm sure they're really ecstatic about it's difficult to get a number for what it is now but in 2009 just before this review was put out it was thought that there were about 710,000 individual plants but that of some of the plot, external plots that had been introduced only two of them were thought to have were thought to be viable. The others were just at some point going to die off. And I really the most secure spot is in Abbott's Lagoon. So the Spinoma's my part. I just really likes Abbott's Lagoon, which I get it too specifically because I've been to Abbott's Lagoon and it's really cool. Also, I just have to mention that the dune or the sands that it lives on are known as Pleistocene dune sands, um, which is just cool. I just like that. I like that little detail. Just had to say that. I think it's fitting too with it will open up with the, the dodo and also this plant that was thought to be extinct and then who knows might be going extinct again and you know maybe like you know there's that story about that bird that re-evolved itself in existence you know maybe the dodo will or maybe the sinless pine flower will you know wake up and like hey you know what there's more in the world than this area but if it doesn't i understand from the article the same review the author writes the most recent literature on climate change includes predictions of hydrological changes Higher temperatures and expansion of drought areas resulting in a northward and or upward elevation shift in range for many species. Um, so that is something that, to me, this is where the fertility almost in helping the most fine flower, like, what's going to really happen to it? We don't know. This whole plant is shrouded in a thick fog cloud, which maybe seems a little heavy-handed because of how foggy Point Reyes is, but I just think it's kind of poetic that there's this plant, which in some ways could be seen almost as like a symbol for point race or like a metonym for the environment this thing is kind of shrouded mystery it's almost an unattainable in a way and maybe i'm not really making sense but anyway it captured my imagination this plant and i think it provides a really interesting look into how we protect plants and how we think about the future of plants and resources that we're willing to allocate for plants i think it's a, i think the summer spine flower is actually a really interesting story or not rather story, but a really interesting look into this kind of world. And of course, this is just a very brief look, but I think it is interesting, especially with one that is so hyper-specialized. With all that said, I actually was so taken with this plant in some ways by the just the mystery, the the kind of mystical, unknowable... Well, to be honest with you, I just, it just reminded me of being in the fog and Point Reyes, and I just love that feeling. And so I wrote a little song about point race and this flower especially if you're hiking out there because you want to be careful about where you step because you don't want to upset a park ranger who's working really hard to help these sonoma spine flower populations
listen to an episode of botanical next week we will be looking at a holiday themed plant which i hope you enjoy and again if you would like to reach out please contact me at info at botanicalpodcast.com you can also reach me at the facebook page which has the ending of a p podcast or on the instagram which is instagram at botanical podcast <laughs>